Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 369 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So just to orient everyone in time a little bit, it is really officially summer. Um, Megan, as we record this, your kids are finishing up school this week. Is that correct? Yes, um, they have one more day tomorrow. Yeah. So by yeah. the time listeners hear this, um, all of our collective school-aged children will be out for summer. Um, loose and fancy free, running barefoot across the grass, I guess. Something like that. Frolicking Frolicking. with backyard chickens in in your situation. By the way, listeners, if you are not um, on Instagram with us, you are missing some chicken content from Megan. It's pretty great. It's been a lot of fun, yes. Yesterday I learned what it means to chase chickens, and it, well, it's just as ridiculous as it sounds. Let's put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. there's a reason that might be um, have like turned into, you know, a metaphorical phrase. Well, today, everyone, we have a fun episode planned. And this is an episode I think that you can settle into even if you're listening to this, like in the future, not right when it comes out. If you're catching up on older episodes, we are talking about truths every mom needs to hear. And the backstory here is that we put together an episode with the same kind of theme and and similar title for our 100th episode, which felt like such an accomplishment, Megan. It would have been, I believe, in 2017. So now that has been five years ago. And that was episode 100, and that was still five years ago. It's crazy. That blows my mind. Absolutely blows my mind. Wow. I know. So we we went back and we kind of were curious. Like, what did we say were like, these, I don't know, truisms that every mom could use reassurance on every once in a while. And we looked back at them and it turns out maybe we knew a little bit of what we were talking about five years ago. Like they hold up. Yeah, I agree. And actually they're great. Like it's a great thing to remind ourselves of, even though these were things that we, you know, truisms that we came up with or truths that we came up with 
five years ago and they were true for us then it's good to hear like our younger selves. And it's not like we both went back and like listened carefully to the whole episode to get a, like a, a reschooling or something, but just to know that this is what we were thinking about five years ago. Um, and then put it like through the, like, look at that, our current family life through that lens. It's really helpful actually. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So five years ago, I still had a preschooler. I had a, a four-year-old. Um, and I now identify so much as a mom of, I would say, preteens and teens. Um, but I was in it. And I, I could tell by listening back that some of the things I was, I was the, the place I was coming from was still very much that preschool mom. And I had a pretty like demanding preschooler at that time. So it was kind of interesting to hear myself. But basically what we have for you today, everyone, are eight truths that we think every mom could stand to be reminded of every once in a while or every day. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor Meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor Meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from our place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. All right, Megan. So what is the first little truth or truism you have for our listeners today? Okay, so this one is one of those that feels on on that surface, like really duh. But I do remember this actually being mind blowing for me when my kids were little. So 
it's that every kid is different. And, um, when I had my first two, they were, they seemed like such polar opposites. Like one was calm and, and sensitive and timid and relatively easy. And then the next one like shot out of the womb, like a firecracker and didn't, you know, basically made it onto a meme because it was, it was just literally like, literally, like literally he is now a meme. Um, so those, I was like, oh, those are the two kinds of kids there are. There's like extreme, like extreme calm, sensitive, timid, and then extreme, like the opposite of that. And then I had Will and I'm like, oh, okay. So in some ways he's a little like Jacob. In some ways he's a little like Isaac. It turns out he's kind of a different version of human. Like he's this other person. And then I had, oh, and I'm like, ooh, okay. So now I'm seeing that like He's also hard like Isaac in a way, but like in his own way. And then Clara is just different from everyone. Like she's a little bit of everyone and, and, but like totally unique as well. And I think that has just become more and more true because as they get older, they settle into who they are even more. And I think that if I was going to add to that now, five years later, I would say every kid really is different and you could have 10 kids or 15 kids or 20 kids and they would all be different from each other, which again, duh, but like, it does seem hard to imagine when you've got two, how there could be multiple and then have, you know, new personalities every time, but they're also very different at different stages of their life. So they keep being different versions of their already different. They start off different from each other, but then they go through phases and the differences become more striking or sometimes two kids in your house will seem quite similar for a while. And then one goes through a stage and seems very different from the other one again. So like, not only are they different from each other, they're different from themselves at times. Yeah. And I think what this one allows us to do and what I always need, like I need this reminder constantly is to parent different kids differently, even in the same household or the same, like if you're raising kids who have the same relatively like same environment, same co-parents, like everything could be the same and the way they're wired, the way they move through the world could be different. And I think over that has given me permission to think about parenting strategies differently for different kids, even within the same household. And then the other thing I think that it does is it allows us to be compassionate when we look at how other families are doing things like you are the only parent, Megan, of your specific kid, Isaac, let's just say, since he was on the meme and he's internet famous um, for his personality as a toddler and preschooler. Like there was only one Me- Megan Isaac pairing. So someone else yeah. can look at that photo of the two of you and say what they did or what they would do differently or how their kid might have been similar, but they're still not you and their kid isn't Isaac. And so I think if we keep that in mind, it allows us to be compassionate when other families are doing things differently than we are. Cause we don't, we are not them and we don't have their kid. Yeah. It is like a very different, it's like every kid is different. Every mom is different and the unique pairing and every situation is different. So every, there's like a, a very unique recipe happening in every single parenting interaction that you might see out in, out in the world. And I think that like this, turning it kind of on its head and also saying every kid is different and every mom is different. Like even day to day, you can be Mm -hmm. different really allows me to look at it and say, okay, well, it's easy to almost typecast kids in my house or 
to feel like that because things were a certain way. We've talked about this a million times on the show. Like you get used to things being a certain way. Like this child can't handle this kind of situation. So I'm going to keep them out of it. Or this is the behavior I expect from this child. Or this is the expectation I have of this child because they've always been great at X, Y, and Z. Sometimes that kid's going to surprise you because they're going to maybe acquire a skill or um, an ability they didn't have, or maybe they're going to like not be interested in something anymore that they were. And sometimes that can be off-putting as a mom. You're like, you kind of finally feel like you got everything. You finally figured everything out. You figured everyone out. And now it turns out they're going to throw you a curveball again. But it's just, it's good to remember that that the different, um, it's always, it's like a new day. Every new day is a totally new soup that you're, I feel like we've used that um, metaphor a few times lately, the but soup, it is the soup, the is, soup of the day. Getting cold. The soup du jour is always different. Yeah. Um, I, I think, well, we've now like taken this truism and like played it all the way forward into like your adult kids, Megan, but actually where I felt it most and where I think is common for a lot of moms to really feel this is when you have paid the dues of getting to know your first baby and their how they respond to i don't know all different kinds of things feeding sleeping diapering and then it's like like you said with Isaac that second kid comes along so just a little a little shout out to anybody out there who is having the realization that like everything i did with my first kid is not working and what like what do i do now you are not alone and like you said Megan it's the constant curveball that we just sort of get used to and that becomes the norm Yeah. What you got for us? Well, the first one that I have is to think about relationship with your child over a specific result. It's interesting. This is obviously something I said five years ago and that I really, I think I'm still um, really believe this. But we also talked about it just a couple months ago, Megan, maybe a month ago or so when a listener asked us about gentle parenting and positive parenting in a listener questions. And so I think it's interesting. At the time I talked about this in that episode, I didn't remember that I had talked about it five years ago, but this is something that really helped me when I was finding my way with discipline um, and behavior stuff uh, when my kids were in the toddler and preschool years. Because in those years, it's really tempting to want to uh, find the fastest road to correcting unwanted behavior, whether that's whining or sibling fighting or picky eating or um, bedtime battles. And even on the internet, you're going to mostly find strategies for like squashing or curbing that behavior. And I'm not saying that I never tried any of those strategies, but I think the guiding principle for me was to continue to come back to the relationship with the child um, over the fastest way to correct a behavior. And I, I stand by that today, I think it is also helping me in my um, different various current struggles with preteens and teens that when that relationship is there, then we can tackle behaviors using a variety of strategies. But we have the trust, we have the, um, the bond, the attachment, if you will. And so that has always been a good guide. I will say it's messy. It would feel easier to like have five steps to make your kids stop whining tomorrow. Like that is in some ways easier. Um, but the prioritizing the relationship has always felt like a, um, a more foundational guide to me. Well, I love that we have found the origin. It probably wasn't even, we probably were talking about this 
longer ago than five years ago, because I think that episode, we sort of distilled the things we like the truths we'd already been talking about for two years by that Mm -hmm. point. Right. But this is when it kind of solidified into the, like, what are the things that make up the, the drums that we're going to beat over and over. Mm -hmm. And, um, we might not say relationship over results a lot on the show, like in so many words, but we often talk about taking the long view, um, seeing the big picture and like, what are you really in this for? And the thing about correcting a discipline issue is a temporary fix. Mm -hmm. The discipline issue, first of all, is a temporary thing. Like most kids outgrow at some point, whatever discipline thing that you're dealing with right now, that's probably not going to last forever, but the relationship will like that endures. So if that's the thing you put your effort into and your attention on, I feel like you kind of can't go wrong. You still want to sometimes like there are certain things that they just can't do that aren't okay. Of course. Of course. Um, Yeah. But like, if you keep the relationship foundational and that's the thing, like that's the main goal, then it just, it's like when you have a mission statement or, you know, like if you work for a nonprofit or something and there's a mission and you just keep going back to the mission, like this is what I have to filter every decision through the relationship will be there until the day you die. Right. So that's like what, that's the lasting thing. That's what endures and everything else is, is temporary. Yeah. And, and to be really clear, I think most people understand this, but I am not suggesting that the bond or relationship with my child means that I don't correct inappropriate behaviors or that we don't even have strategies to work toward a goal, like not getting up out of your bed every night. Not like I, I actually have employed a lot of those parenting type strategies, but I think it's not a zero sum game. And I think Um, having the relationship goal, what it has allowed me to do over the years is to be patient and compassionate with myself and my child. So while we are working on a sleep issue or a whining issue or a potty issue, while we are employing those great nifty strategies that all the parenting experts have, I can be patient with myself and compassionate with myself because I'm not expecting, if it doesn't work, Um, or if we have to switch gears or if it's taking longer than I expected, I know that my priority or my, I guess, like that mission statement, as you say, um, is around a forever relationship and not, it's not being measured by the success of the behavior issue. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 We all acknowledge that sometimes behaviors are really annoying and need to stop. (laughs) Totally. Yes. Totally. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that my next one really plays well off of um, yours. And this is something that took me kind of a long time as a mom to figure out. And I will be honest, I still struggle with it. And I'm sure anyone who's listened to this show carefully um, over the years can tell I still struggle with it. If I ever had to like acknowledge what my biggest parenting, I don't know, I don't want to say flaw, but just like stumbling block can be. It's this vulnerability. Um, maybe. Vulnerability. Thank you very much. I like that word. Um, And that is that making a parenting decision because you're worried about what somebody else thinks or would want you to do almost always leads to the wrong decision. And again, just like the caveat, like you gave, I mean, that's not to say other people don't have great ideas. Um, They do. And it's also not to say that there's not such a thing as public decorum. There is, you know, there are things I don't want my kids to do because they're rude or they're, uh, wrong and like put other people out or are harmful to other people. So it's not like that kind of question. It's more like that public care, like public parenting pressure that really doesn't go away. So, um, when they're little, it might look like 
the way you're feeding or diapering your baby. And when they get older, it might be the way you handle a tantrum. Um, but when they get even older than that, it can be, you know, what, how you enforce school consequences at home or don't, um, and what you think their teachers might think about that. Like whether you take one route or the other, I think that's another listener question we had not too long ago. Um, whether you, you know, kind of let them fend for themselves when it comes to things like forgetting their lunch at home, um, or you kind of helping them out. There's very strong opinions on both sides of things like that. And I tend to kind of see nuance in everything. So sometimes I think my fear would be that, that it it would make me look undecided or Mm wishy-washy because one day I might be like, you know what? I know that my, like, let's use the lunch thing for, as an example, because this is something I struggled with. There was this sort of parenting, um, I don't know, sort of philosophy that if you bail your kids out, then you've just bought yourself a job, right? So like if they forget their homework, they forget their folder, they forget their lunch. If you bail them out, they'll keep doing it because they've learned that they can, right? Mm -hmm. And so on the one hand, I sort of agree with that. And there's been plenty of times that my kids have forgotten something at home. And I've been like, sorry, I just, I can't leave. Today's really busy. And it's not like I'm mad at them and it's not a punishment. It's just, that's just natural consequences. Like it turns out I actually can't bring this to you. And then there's been other times where I was like, man, I know I rushed them out the door this morning. I didn't give, like, I didn't give Clara a second to look around and kind of go through her mental checklist. She was rushed. I was rushed. I have a minute. I'm going to bring her her lunch. And I guess my point is, I know in the moment, just like we were talking about that, a unique um, recipe that is the Clara me relationship mm-hmm. that day, her circumstances yeah. that are happening in my home and outside of my home what my behaviors might've done to affect that. I just, it feels rather mean to me sometimes to hold things so tightly to like a philosophy Mm -hmm. without taking all that into account. So all that to say, not to go too far down that route. If I allowed the way other people like the school secretary might be like, well, last time she said she could pound sand because she forgot her lunch and now she's bringing it in. And that's not very consistent. Like if I allowed that to be the thing that made the decision for me. Look at all of the parenting I just missed out on, like yeah. all the relationship building I just missed yeah. out on because I didn't take into account everything I know that nobody else knows. So I just think, and that never goes away, by the way, my oldest is 24 years old and I still sometimes deal with the pressure of feeling like other people's opinions matter mm-hmm. when it comes to the way I choose to interact with him or feel about the decisions he's making. And, and it just, at the end of the day, I can't let it matter. And that's not to say I can't let it matter more than it matters. Yeah. Um, which is to say not that much. (laughs) So that's a very long winded way of kind of repeating myself from five years ago, but that is definitely something I still need to tell myself all the time. Well, over the years, I have seen listeners quote you back to yourself on this. I think this is one of the things you have said a handful of times in the last seven years that people truly like write it down and take it to heart. So, um, it, it is here for a reason. As you were talking, I was thinking that in the last five years we have had COVID and Mm. parenting decisions tangled up in what other people think. I mean, social pressure thing. Yeah. Social pressure and, um, making decisions for your family that go against or with the grain of what your particular community is doing. And I don't care where you live or how aligned you are with 
kind of the mainstream in your area, it's this issue has ratcheted up to a degree that almost nobody can say like that, that these decisions have been easy or have come without um, comparing yourself against the family next door. Even if you're relatively aligned with your community, like I said, there are still things you let your kids do that other people didn't or vice versa or masking or vaccines like that. This ratcheted up so much in the last two and a half years that I'm, that I was reflecting on. We didn't know when we, when we had this conversation five years ago, that wasn't even a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my next one um, is just a reminder to us all (laughs) that you as a parent, you and your co-parent, you get to choose what you want your family life to look like, what kind of parent you want to be, what kind of relationship you want to have with your kids. So that's kind of part one. And you also get to change your mind about it. So as Mm. when on the show, like we kind of our shorthand for this is you're the decider as moms, we are the deciders. And I, I would include what, whoever you're co-parenting with in that you as parents are the deciders. Um, this is sort of a corollary to what you just talked about, Megan, but it's almost like framing it in the inside the four walls of your home instead of now we're not worried about what everybody else is going to think of our parenting, but now we get to decide what do we want to do. Um, and this is one of those that again, sounds so simple. Um, and if you are able to remove that noise and remind yourself that you are the decider, things get really pure and really clear. Sometimes it um, is still confusing. Sometimes you are not sure what you want to decide. That That is true for me. It's true for me right now and my family. Um, but knowing that you are the decider, that you get to change your mind um, and that you are sort of driving this bus or captaining this ship, um, I think simplifies things for a lot of parents. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you don't know it. And when five years ago, you were still in a place where I kind of was like maybe more like 10 years ago with a preschooler in the house and the oldest kid still in high school. Um, and like the picture of the family life I was going for at that moment was very real and pure and honest to me right then, but it changed a lot. Five years later, when we recorded this episode, I was newly divorced. Um, I had to really redefine and my kids were older. Right. So then I had one just out of high school and the other one's kind of fast coming up behind. And, and now five years after that, I'm in a totally new place where I'm partnered again. I've got two going on three kids out of the house. And I, and I just get to keep deciding over and over and like family life can look like the meta, like the big picture macro. And it can also look like the little interactions, like all of those decisions that you make that make up a life that make up a family life. Like every single one of those is like ours to choose. And then every single one of those can be changed over time. And I think if I looked back 10 years now and saw the family life I had and compared it to what I have now, I would be like, what, (laughs) like what even is going on? And they're very, very different, but that's life. That is life. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up that macro and micro. Cause I was thinking the same thing when I, when I set out this truism just now, I made it sound really broad, like about big philosophical things about how do you want your family life to look? But I was also just thinking about last week, we talked about technology and devices and we've talked about things like, um, planning our summer, whether you do a bunch of summer camps or you don't, or you let your kids like run feral or you don't. Each of those micro decisions is another opportunity to be like, well, I'm the decider this summer. I'm the decider or we are the deciders. Here's what we're going to do. We can change our mind in two weeks. 
Um, and so I think it's also a helpful reminder, like you said, for those smaller decisions um, that we can like, it's almost like we have too much information. We can Google too yeah. many things. We have too much feedback from other parents. Um, simplifying that to I can decide and I can change my mind, um, I think is helpful. You know, what's really fun now is to see my older kids, my, especially my young adults, but I would say, well, Will is technically a young adult and he's heading off to college in the fall and watching them come into the realization that they are deciders in their own Mm. lives. Like that is such a fun thing to watch, but they don't, it's just interesting to watch how much they try to copy, like what they grew up with for a while. And then they're like, I don't know, or maybe they try to do something they thought that they would be into when they're in high school and they try things on for size. And I just keep saying, you get to decide though. It's like, it's up to you and you can, you know, you can, one of them is telling me he wants to have no kids and one wants to have 10 kids and it's, it's fine. (laughs) You know, well, after they have the 10 kids, then they're kind of stuck with them. But up until you actually have 10 kids, you get to decide, you know, if that's, you might think that you want that when you're 22, but you know, maybe when you're 32, you're like, Hey, one's good. So I don't know. It's like really fun to watch young people come into that realization that it doesn't really matter what anybody wants for them. What matters is what they want. And it's hard. It's really hard for them. And so it's, and it's still hard for us. But what a cool thing for you to be able to see as a mom of adults. Um, This is like a little sidebar. That's a little bit of like therapy speak, but just, just to mention that if deciding and finding what's right for you is really, really hard for you, Or if you have something in like just in your past that makes that really hard to trust your gut. I also think that's a really common experience for moms. And I'm not, I'm not Mm -hmm. like trying to be vague about trauma or what's in anybody's past or, or even in my own, but just from talking to close friends and other moms, I also know that we may be making it sound super simple to don't worry about what everybody else thinks and, you know, blaze your own trail and trust your gut. And I just know that for a lot of people, that is a complicated process. So if you are doing work through therapy or reading or talking to people about why that's really tricky for you, and even in really small ways, you're able to trust your gut or make a decision, you're doing a great job. That's all. That's my little pep talk. Um, That's a a great place to end the first half. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I thought it would be fun to just recap because these are these are such bumper sticker phrases. So in the first half, we have decided that every kid is different. We've decided relationship over result. Um, We have said that making a parenting decision because you're worried about someone else and what they would think will almost always lead to the wrong decision. I need to shorten that. That's not going (laughs) to, that's not going to go on a bumper sticker, but it's so good. Okay. I need like five words. So I'll think on that. Not right now, but later. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then finally, we have said that you get to choose. You are the decider and you get to change your mind. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. 
Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa slip on flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code themomhour15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right, we're back. And Megan, there's no pressure to make any of this fit on a bumper sticker. I was not trying to like, you know, pen us in there before we went to break. So you can be as as long or as... um explanatory as you need. What is your next truth for moms? Well, this one would fit on a bumper sticker. Okay. So I'm just going to go with it as written. Um, that was, you probably won't remember this and that's okay. And I just love being reminded of this one because this is one of those things like an epiphany that came to me as a mom. I want to say, I know I wrote a blog post about it. I want to say Clara was probably a baby. She was actually turning five. So when you wrote this blog post... It was on the eve or the the week of Clara's fifth birthday because I went back and wow okay read it all right well I was probably yes I was reflecting back I think yeah. to like the the pressure that we have as moms and I think that pressure has only gotten stronger um, I I saw a funny meme the other day and it said something like in the ni- 80s or 90s my parents took exactly 11 pictures of me between the ages of <laughs> six and ten or something <laughs> and I took. I took 25 since last night at 9 PM or something like that. I mean, it just made me laugh because there's such more pressure to document and share document and share document and share. And I think we think that means we'll remember things um, or that if we don't remember it, it didn't happen. Or if that, if we don't like, we can only remember it if we stop and pay attention and be present. There's all these weird things mixed up together. There's the being present. There's enjoying the moment. There is documenting the moment. Those two things do not always go together or three things don't always go together. And I would just argue that even if you do all of those things, even if you're present in the moment, truly enjoying the moment, paying attention, maybe documenting it, maybe sharing and storing and like archiving it for yourself, you probably still won't remember like 95% of what happens. And that was really hard for me to figure out or to like really, um, except because you try to capture all these little moments. And, and I remember like holding a baby next to me and think like a laying next to like a, a growing baby and feeling where their toes lined up along my hip say, and thinking, Oh my gosh, within like a couple of months, their toes are going to be a couple inches further down. Well, I remember what it feels like Mm -hmm. 
to hold a baby this size in the crook of my arm. And no, I, I don't really like, I have a mm-hmm. sort of a sense memory about it. Like a, but I think the way I wrote about it was something about an amalgam. Like yeah. it's not, it's not this specific baby. It's like any baby and no baby. It's just this like fuzzy, um, like amorphous foggy blob of a yeah. memory. And that's like pretty much the first decade of motherhood for me with some very specific memories that are really yeah. fun or, or really hard. Like sometimes the things that, you know, they say that the things that are the most emotionally impactful are the things that your brain registers. Like mm-hmm. there's a biological reason, like a survival reason for that. So if something is really crazy emotional, you're more likely to remember it than otherwise, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it's all great stuff. And yeah. sometimes those pleasant, fuzzy, content feelings aren't really that emotionally impactful, not in the way that your brain latches onto. It's not like a fight or flight thing. You know, it's not like a learning, like, don't do that again, because like your brain telling you not to do something. And that's why you remember it. So anyway, all that is to say, like, you're still there. You're still Mm -hmm. experiencing it. Your child is still in relationship with you. Like all of these things are happening. It's real. You are there, mom. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like etched on the Instagram feed, which is your memory for the rest of your life. It's just probably not. And that's okay. Do you think in your yoga learning, especially in the last five to 10 years there, like, do you see a connection between our ability to be present, like actually experiencing the moment versus being in the yeah. past or the future. Like, do you, I'm curious if you have a more yogic sense for this one than you even would have five years ago. Maybe, or maybe I already sort of knew, mm-hmm. like maybe I was already developing that sense around it. Um, and it just now makes like, now I can put words to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's definitely like the non-attachment because the minute you start trying to cling to something, you've already lost it. Like the minute you <laughs> latch on and try to attach to a feeling or a moment. Um, now that moment has already passed. Like it's now in the, in the, it's in the past now and now you're in this moment. Right. So yes, that's a big part of it. And I think, um, there's like, well, yeah, there's a whole bunch of yoga philosophy we could get into around contentment and not stealing from yourself, like not stealing away the moment you're in to try to make it a memory you'll have later or that's kind of like what I'm not thinking about the future, not thinking about the past. Like it all kind of goes together. I don't, I think I just have words for things now that maybe I didn't before, but I think I was starting to kind of realize that like, yeah, this can be fleeting and like, I don't want to be morbid, but we're all like temporary on this earth. And in a hundred years, you know, no one will remember any of us anymore. Um, And that means we have to be okay with impermanence. And that also applies. Like it doesn't, the fact that my, um, my 22 year old, so Isaac is back home with me for a while. And I don't know how long he'll be there, but like, we've been having so much fun the last week, just talking and catching up and reconnecting. And it's been really great. And I look at him sometimes and I think he was probably the one that I had the most like emotional highs and lows with when he Mm -hmm. was really little. And I look back and I think, man, when I think of him, at two and three, I think of a lot of stress. I think of a lot of like moments, like moments that are kind of funny now. And we're funny at the moment too. Like I remember laughing a lot because it was one of those kids where if you don't laugh, you'll cry at the Mm -hmm. store or whatever. 
And I also remember some very sweet moments with him. And he probably doesn't really remember any of that. But that doesn't mean the relationship we were building during that time didn't happen or that it doesn't count or matter or mean anything. Like the molecules that we were, you know, arranging into our relationship are now that's the relationship. But the memories don't really matter almost. Like those can go away. Yeah, that is like such a good way to put it. Like, yeah. Um, and the, the final thing I'll add to this one, because I think about this a lot, too, and that idea of there's a lot of pressure to, quote unquote, be present. And I think that's given we don't always understand what we mean when we say that. But the truth is, if you're lying there with a 18 month old at your side and they're no longer tiny, but they're not big yet, it's it is bittersweet and there is sadness in being present. So sometimes I think being present is not super pleasant because of everything right. you just said. We are coming to terms with the fact that this moment is fleeting. This is changing. And with babies and toddlers, especially it happens so fast that I think it can be painful. It can be painful and we don't like that. We're not comfortable with that. So then we do this other thing, which is to look forward to the future or to reminisce about the past and that being present. Or to is, take 3,000 pictures because we, t- we think it'll still, you know, that it'll pause it in time. And exactly. it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that uncomfortableness of being in the presence of growing kids is like, it is, it is hard. And I feel like now we took your, you probably won't remember this and that's okay. And we made it into something totally different, but that's okay. We, well, that's it, okay. It evolved because we're different than we were five mm-hmm. years ago, yeah. Sarah. And we could probably apply all of these things to us, you know, as, as moms too. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. Okay. Well, here's one that really hasn't changed since the beginning of time. Um, and is really poignant for me right now. And that is simply, you are not the only one going through what you're going through. Um, so I had this one five years ago, and it is very much like five years ago. I am reminding myself of that right now. Um, instead of getting emotional, I'm going to talk about a uh, Jen Hatmaker interview that I listened to probably through two months ago. It's not brand new. It was Jen Hatmaker, I think, on Glenn and Doyle's podcast. Um, so that's either your cup of tea or it ain't. But there were a couple of things she talked about when she talked about like, staying private about something. It was her divorce and then going public about it. And she had ways of putting into words what it was like to like join a club of people who were going through the same thing you were. And it was, she was so funny about it. Like, this is not a club you thought you wanted to be in. It is not like, these are your, these are now like your weird friends that are going through the same weird thing that you are. Um, but it was really powerful and, um, poignant and funny. And she said it better than I will today. Um, But basically, if you are listening to this, I freaking promise you are not the only one going through what you're going through, period. And I have been learning that again, you know, in this season. So, yeah, well, I mean, that is like, I think sometimes even if the thing that we're dealing with has been written about extensively (laughs) and like it should be so obvious that you're not the only one. It's still easy to forget that you can still think to yourself, okay, yes, there's been a 12 books written about it. There's an entire nonprofit devoted to it. Like (laughs) blah, 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 blah. There's statistics that say millions of parents have faced this. And so maybe if you dial it down, you think, but nobody like me knows what this is like, or nobody in my community or nobody who is my age or nobody who I know in my in my family or nobody I know from high school or whatever. Like, I think we tend to um, 
you know, humans are very tribal. Mm -hmm. And so we might know that like, obviously like it's data, there's fact that there's a lot of other people going through this, but if we can't like put a human label or identifier on those people, it's like they somehow don't count in our world. So I think it's almost even helpful sometimes to dial it down and say, like, there's somebody I know. There's probably somebody yeah. on my block. There's somebody in my kid's school pickup line. Yes. Um, there's somebody in my child's preschool class who's going through this thing or whose family is going through this thing. And I think when we take it more and more and more down to the micro like that, it's actually more helpful because it personalizes it. Well, I, I will take that a step farther. And you're right. We do sort of like to be exceptional. Like we like to be the, the star of our own story. So it's very tempting. And it's sort of a self-protective thing to be like, well, nobody can possibly understand what I'm going through. And that there's probably reasons for that kind of armor that we do. But until you say that you are going through something in a safe place, like you won't know if the mom in the same preschool class is going through that thing. So um, like I can sit here and say, I promise you're not the only one going through what you're going through, but you're right, Megan, like that's impossible to know because we tend to keep things, these things so close. And that, that actually goes right back to that. The Jen Hatmaker uh, conversation was about the process of sort of going semi-public with something that has been hard um, and really how many people say, oh, like that now I realize I am not alone. So I don't know. I guess that in a way that's part of what this podcast is, is like you and I are sort of reflecting back the experience so that nobody feels alone, hopefully. But we also know like some of you are going through something really specific and you write to us and like you tell us stuff in the marriage or stuff in the extended family. And um, you're not alone. Somebody else has a very similar situation, I promise. Um, okay. Well, that's, I feel like that kind of felt like a heavy one. And this yeah. next one almost feels a little glossy. So I'm going to say it because okay. this is something that actually probably is on multiple bumper stickers. All right. We can't even like trademark the bumper sticker because it's no. been done and it's just this too shall pass. It's like, it feels so cliche. I almost hate to say, it, but it shall though. <laughs> it shall. It, sh- it really shall. And whatever it is, whether it's an, and to the impermanence, since we're going to do yoga talk, the good stuff also shall pass like the good and the bad. Everything is going to be something else. Like the amazing stage your kid is in right now, or the awful stage, like everything is going to pass and you don't even have to do anything about that. It just is again, don't cling or wish it was different or look ahead to a minute might be different necessarily. I mean, I like to look ahead at times to keep your eye on the horizon and, and know that there's light on the other side of whatever hard thing you're going through. Um, But just knowing it'll pass means you don't really have to do anything about it. It just will. It just will. And I think there's a reason moms can bristle at this one because it, it on the surface can appear dismissive of your heart. Right. So like if you are in potty training, just in the trenches of potty training and it feels like your kid is not going to poop on the potty ever. And you've been working on it for, a year even like someone saying this too shall pass can feel dismissive of like just how frustrating certain phases of motherhood can be. Um, at the same time, it is true, right? Like your right. <laughs> child is not going to need a pull up forever. Like that's just an objective fact to use the potty training analogy. So I like the way you framed it, Megan, which is it, 
it maybe can be in the form of a permission to go a little easier on ourselves, um, to do a little less, to lower expectations, as I always like to say. That should have been one of the truisms, lowered expectations. Oh, yeah. um, shoot. Shoot. Can we start over? No. <laughs> can we go back five years? Not no. at all. Um, yeah. But I, the other thing I want to say about this two shelf pass is it's a really helpful um, tool in your parenting toolkit for when kids are going through hard things. Um, I have found myself reminding kids at various ages that the way you feel right now is not going to last forever. It might not last five minutes, but it might. It might last a year or it might last five minutes, but it it isn't going to last forever. Um, And so I do think that as we internalize this one as moms, it can be helpful to use with our kids as well, even little kids. Well, emotion management is such like, and I mean, I think that I was something like 42 or something before it sunk into me, into my thick skull (laughs) that my emotions are not me, that they are the clouds and my, and I am the sky and my emotions are the clouds or my feelings are a bus. There'll be another one along in five minutes, whatever like analogy you want to use. That's so true. And those also shall pass. And I also just want to acknowledge that sometimes a challenge will not pass. Like if you have a, you, you actually may have a child who for some medical reason will never potty train. And like, you may have a kid who won't move on to the next developmental stage for whatever reason. And that looks very, very different, but something is still going to pass. Like even if this, even if something is never going to change, you know, about your family life or your child's life or whatever it is, there is going to be a shift somewhere. And maybe that shift is how you feel about it. Maybe that shift Mm -hmm. is how they feel about it. The people around you feel about it. Like either way, everything is still always fluid, always moving. Um, and it helps me to not attach to the way things are in this moment. Well, yeah, that was a really good clarification. I'm really glad you did that because I, I think the more salient point is that the emotional experience we are having about it will shift. And that regardless of whether the circumstances do. So I'm glad you clarified that. Um, Well, as we wrap up, you alluded to this um, earlier in the show. Oh, yeah. I forgot this one was already on the list. (laughs) I think this has been credited to me as something I say a lot, which is funny because I don't think I think both you and I don't realize the things we say a lot. And then other people tell us that we do. And we're like, oh, I guess I do say that a lot. But this is just, um, again, a corollary to this too shall pass. And that is to take the long view, especially when things are hard or you're not sure what to do to do that 30,000 foot, that zoom out. Um, another thing we've said is like, you know, picture this grown family around the table in 10 or 15 or 20 years, um, and really use that long view to help, help you distill down to what's important today, what's necessary today, it's probably less than you think. So that long view is not particularly easy for me because as someone who likes control and predictability, um, I can be very focused on the short view. The problem is when things are out of control or uh, unpredictable, then I'm lost, right? So this is like an ever-present challenge for me. I think maybe... Megan, you might be wired to take that long view um, mm-hmm. more, but you might, maybe you're, maybe there's some hangups in there for you as well. Well, I'm actually just thinking about how for someone like me, I almost need permission sometimes to just stop taking the long view and m- trying to make everything fit into some big picture and to right. just say like, 
today, this is the thing I'm going to do or like to remember to do the thing in front of me and put my Mm -hmm. foot like one foot in front of the other. I can get very lofty ideas about how I want things to look or be and then forget to do the detail things that you actually have to do again and again and again to get there. So I think, you know, at both ends, like take the long view is a great parenting strategy when you don't know what to do in the moment. And you can say, where am I trying to go? Um, and then you just still have you the thing in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not enough just to know where you're going. And then like, then you come back and go, okay, that means a person who wants that result yeah. does what right yeah. now? That's yeah. the next right thing, which I know is another, that's yeah. another bumper sticker phrase we can't take credit for, but it is, it's like, take the long view dot, 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 and then do the next right thing. And that kind of covers, covers both. See, I made a bumper sticker. In, in real time here. Um, <laughs> as we used to say all the time on this show, did we solve it today? Did we solve motherhood? Did we solve it. What else? Let's talk really quick. I just want to talk really quick about how different the old episodes five years ago were. We were laughing about how we didn't used to know how to end an episode. No. Um, in fact, our delightful sound engineer, Brian, kind of pointed out, and this was, embarrassingly recent, like within the last three years, we've been doing a show for like four years by that point that when we got to the end, we would just trail off because we never scripted anything to say at the end. The reason he said it is because we would get quiet. I don't think he cared so much about like the content of the show. He'd be like, Sarah, your voice just gets real quiet at the end. Like, like at the very, very end. Well, So that's one thing. And you were saying, um, we used to banter a lot more and, and we would talk about not even banter, but we would just talk about kind of inconsequential housekeeping stuff. A I lot. think, yes. So this episode that I went back and I read the transcript for this one, cause we, cause we were redoing it today or, or refreshing it or breathing new life into it for today. And as I was looking at the transcript, I was struck by, it wasn't, it wasn't just like small talk, but I think we use the podcast for a lot more housekeeping and announcements than we do now. And one, one reason I think is we have our Facebook community and our Instagram community. So anybody who really wants to be connected to us in between episodes and like, I don't know, get announcements or get reminders about things in real time. There's a place for that. There's a place for that. And the podcast has become a little bit more like, we don't assume that you're listening the second this drops. And so we're not going to maybe like make a bunch of housekeeping announcements about what's happening this week. So little things like that, I guess that we've just evolved over time. It's very different. And I, if those of you who have gone back and, or have been with us from the beginning um, and go back and listen to oldies, it's still us. I mean, I think we've still, we've had our, our um, relationship, our, what's the word I'm looking for? Chemistry. It sounds cheesy, but we've had that pretty much the whole time. But the structure of an episode and the mechanics, let's just say (laughs) the way we executed uh, the show was different. was different. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Sarah, thank you for going back in the Wayback Machine with me. I hope everyone found it helpful, insightful, um, hopefully both. Before we wrap up, I want to remind everyone about our sponsor, Auto Approve. With Auto Approve, vehicle owners can lower their monthly payment get a better rate or both to put more of your money back in your pocket. So you can get your free quote and find out how much you can save at autoapprove.com slash mom hour. Yes, definitely go check that out. 
And we have another episode coming up this Friday in our Voices series. I'm going to be chatting with a few of our team members about family vacations and family travel gone slightly wrong, off the rails. We're going to tell some funny Mm. stories and also kind of reflect on what it means to just to kind of pick yourself back up and move through travel fiascos anyway. So I'm excited about that. And then next Tuesday, Megan, you and I are doing a week of real life housework. We've teased this on the Insta um, and it will follow the kind of the same format as a week of real life dinners, but which is a popular series on this show, but with some differences. And we're really excited about it. We've already tracked our housework. So you will all hear it a week from today, uh, next Tuesday. So we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you then. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mama or listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N francis.substack.com.